Welcome back. In recognition of Black History Month this February, I spoke with sculptor James Elwanger, the artist behind the Shattering Silence sculpture, which decorates the Iowa Judicial Branch Building's West Lawn. This sculpture is a memorial to Iowa's progressive civil rights history and where it all began, with the case of Ralph Montgomery, a former Missouri slave granted his freedom in Iowa in 1839. If you're interested in learning more about Ralph and Iowa's first civil rights and Supreme Court case, you can find more information in episode 18 of In the Balance. Stay tuned to hear more about how this sculpture came to be from the artist himself. Welcome to our little production, Mr. Elwinger, and thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Before we dive into your work on the Shattering Silent Sculpture, tell me a bit about what drew you to the art scene and sculpture itself. I started off uh, not in the arts. I, uh, I didn't get into the arts till later, till I was about 30 years old. I always uh, drew, I always wanted to do stuff like that. I always... Uh, was very inquisitive, uh, especially when engineering and everything came to just you know, like a lot of other artists I talked to, it's just one of those things that um, you just have to do it. You, you you don't have a choice. And it was later in my life after I had my first son, and uh, um, my uh, father-in-law passed away. And we were kind of like on this trajectory to get into real. My father-in-law was King Grandquist, and he had the Iowa Cubs and part of a, a pretty good-sized real estate company. And we were kind of projected to myself and my brother-in-law to kind of kind of go that way. Mm-hmm. And when he passed away, it was hard. But then it kind of left this opening to where I could do whatever I want. And uh, that's when I kind of went back into, I was always designing furniture. And I ended up designing some furniture and got patents and sold tens of thousands of pieces of furniture through these patents, pirated and the whole works too. Uh, That I just started really thinking about interior and sculpture and interior art. And I started doing wall pieces. Uh, I started doing sculpture and I just, I had some really good people that uh, uh, I grew up in uh, on the south side of Des Moines, and I knew a little bit about uh, a, a few people who were prominent people, uh, Cragners and a few like that, Coles, that uh, helped the, the art center get started. And I kind of wanted their input on what I was going to do. That's where it all began. Um, and it just, it began like most artists, that it's just, you just have to do it. And I just came into a part in my life where it just boiled and I couldn't, I couldn't contain it anymore. And I love what I do. I absolutely, I love it. I love the discovery of it. I, I like the reaction of people. I, I, I really love to do it. And uh, so that, that started it, uh, um, you know. I think it's pretty good for my kids on the south side of Des Moines. So yeah, uh, but that's kind of where where I started, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, kind of where I'm at now, and what I'm doing is kind of totally divorced from what I was doing where I started. So.
uh, as I mentioned before, you are the sculptor and the designer of Shattering Silence, which decorates the Iowa Judicial Branch's building's West Lawn. And in researching it, I was surprised to learn that you were not approached by a person or organization to design it, but rather you design it first and then sought funding and a home for it. So what inspired that project? What did that process look like? That process started with, I I had about, oh, probably maybe 20 or 25 uh, pieces underneath my belt by then that I've done. And they just, it, they just didn't mean anything to me. The mm-hmm. one protecting balance is a piece that's in Iowa right now, or it, on Ingersoll, that meant something to me. It used to be at the Cragner Law Firm, Cragner Parish Law Firm. I, I think it's still there. But it just, I wanted to do something that actually had a really in-depth story to it. I was lucky enough, I, I think in, in the arts, when you, when you start to get a little success behind you, you get to meet a lot of different people. And I, I got to meet a gentleman named Dwight Opperman. And Dwight Opperman owned the Opperman Printing and a large foundation for Drake and all that. And David Cragner was another one. And I was talking to them about, you know, I want to do something that, uh, you know, I can have a story behind it, but I think it's going to have to have something that's going to have a lot of public presence to it, which means it's going to cost a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were the ones that very in the beginning uh, were really impacted on, uh, yeah, this sounds like something cool to do. And we don't really, we don't look at monuments of being that way as in, in, a, in an abstract form. Right. And most monuments are figurative and like capsulizing a moment in time or what, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. So I thought that was very interesting in, uh, to do that. And I had a, another cause that I really believed in, which was the National Bar Association. And I really wanted to do something with them and we really tried. And then I just started talking to a guy named Michael Gartner. And Michael Gartner just bought the Iowa Cubs from Kent, my father-in-law. And I kind of knew him and I knew kind of, he was kind of a civil rights guy. And he says, you know, James, he says, there's, there's a story that we really need to do. And that was, that was a matter of wealth. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how it came to be. And where it is right now, it was another kind of a turning point with the Iowa, Iowa Capital Planning Commission. I think that's who we worked, the Capital Planning Commission, who we worked with doing it. And it just, uh, that's kind of how it brought it. When Michael told me the story, and I didn't know anything about this. My wife, who is an attorney, who went to Drake, she knew all about this story. And I just, I remember telling her one night, I said, you know, what, it, how did I not know this living here? And uh, that was the kind of an eye opener to, to know about it and to uh, know that that is why a lot of the immigrants and a lot of people who came to Iowa and the territory of Iowa after this was kind of put down to law. And that the fact that it was the very first um, case ever got, you know, put on the docket for it. 
which basically meant Iowa was a free territory. Particularly, what I was really moved more about, as as bad as the story is, was with Ralph Montgomery and everything, was uh, how how a farmer named Alexander Butterworth, a German farmer who lived here in Dubuque, how he had everything to lose and nothing to gain for for stopping this happening, to stopping stopping Ralph from being exported down to a slave owner mm-hmm. and making sure it got to the got to the courts for the very first case to do this. And I thought that that really is kind of the heroic, you know, step that anybody can take. And I thought that was very interesting that a a person would put themselves, especially at that time, uh, of how once you label yourself this way with for slavery or against slavery, you're branded one way or another mm-hmm. and you you are putting your stake out in your yard and saying Ooh, this is who I am and sometimes that's not very that's not a, a good position to be in and I was really surprised that a farm that someone did that the name shattering silence um, kind of comes from the fact of someone ha- you know having enough and breaking the silence and that the courts will will kind of embrace that and take over and make sure that whatever journey this person's on to change something that's um, been harmed or harmed to another uh, does and, and takes up and tries to change it. That's what shattering silence is really about. In fact, one of the things that's very adamant when we're doing this is, you know, the story's got to be in stone somewhere, and it's got to include Alexander Butterworth. And it, it, I mean, it has to include it all because mm-hmm. without those parts, it's just any other story. But when you start to get those detailed in parts of it, and people, it takes a while. But when people start to connect it and start to figure out that maybe they're not the ones oppressed maybe they know something else or know someone else's or another situation that their voice can make a change and it does and you spoke just a little bit ago about all of these elements one of them being uh the case written in stone or the decision written in stone what are some other elements that are a part of this sculpture of this entire piece individual elements that you were really adamant needed to be included and what are they meant to symbolize well, part of the sculpture is limestone, and the limestone actually is from the quarries that Ralph wore. Now, we weren't able to, like, pinpoint for sure this is where it was, but they were the quarries of the land of Dubuque, and I wanted that to be brought into it, and we went out of our way to get limestone from there. The, the high reflectance of the shards, um, it's milled to almost a mirror. One way you get to see the judicial building, which is a beautiful building, and then the other way you get to see the city, and it kind of opens up this whole dynamic of the reflection of it all, and mm-hmm. it, it puts you in a center and puts you in a place where it, it, things are bigger than you, but you can manipulate those things, and you can you can 
you can do you can make a bigger change by just standing up and i think that's i think that's too why a lot of people adopted this sculpture for their rallies or their if any injustice they want to go right up there and they march around that Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of kind of nice. I think one of the most interesting things I got um, from doing it, it wasn't long after it. So this was, I mean, you're talking something that was placed in 2009, so 14 years ago. But a couple of years after we did it, I had a, a, a good friend who works in the judicial, who works in the, in the court, in that building, and just say, you would not realize how many judges look out that window and have to see that every day and how it has to remind them and how that case has to be heavy on them. I know that it's there and I can't be missed. And I know there's a story there that can't be missed. I know there's names there that can't be missed. And I know that there's a sense of determination that can't be missed. Well, we've talked about how the shattering silence project kind of began, how it was brought to life, what it's meant to symbolize. But what I would also like to know is what do you hope people visiting this sculpture leave with? What message, sense, or feeling do you hope it inspires in people? Well, what does it do? What does it say to you? It's it's a place of contemplation and recognition, and um, and it's it's something that when. I host tours at the building. I always tell people to go see, and it's something that people get married in front of and, and pose with and, and still spread the word and talk about today. So it's it's definitely a very lasting impression. Well, I, I think you answered it. That's, that's what it's supposed to be. It's just, I mean, that's exactly what it's supposed to be. And the fact that it conveys that, is uh, it, it's kind of true to the piece, but it's also true to the words in the story. It's just, it's one of those things that you just, it's it's just too big to ignore mm-hmm. in stature and, you know, in, in, in story. It's just, it's just too big to ignore. And if this wouldn't have been done for this, I'm sure that down the road, something else would have been done for it. You know, again, I had, I had Michael Gardner, Graham Cook, uh, um, Liz Craignier, and David Craignier. Um, I had a lot of people, Senator Harkin, had a lot of people help me do this. It just wasn't me. It, I could have never done this just by myself. It, it doesn't work that way, and it never works that way. And it's not supposed to work that way. Right. So there was a lot of people involved with it. And that was kind of some of the meetings we had with this. That was kind of where we were. All right, what can we, how can this be something that we can have a little bit of a legacy behind it? And we can do something that's generational. That's just not like an image. And that goes back to when, you know, I first trying to figure out a sculpture that does more than just be a sculpture. And uh, I think uh, that's when you can hit that as an artist, as a sculptor, as someone who who does these. I mean, that's like the trifecta. You can't. It, it just doesn't come any better than that. You just leave it alone and move on, and right. try to hopefully do another story or do another event. Right. 
And my last question for you is we've obviously spent a lot of time talking about shattering silence. Um, but like you said, you have a lot of other work that you've done. Are there any other pieces of yours around Des Moines that people can, can visit and see your work in different ways? Oh yeah. I did a piece of sculpture when I very first started and everything, like, I think it was a 99 actually, that is at the steam at uh, Principal Park, Sec Taylor, that I did for my father-in-law. Um, and uh, I, I think that's a really nice piece. That was one of my very first pieces. And I think we're trying, I, I think they're trying to get that to the city. I, I don't know how that's working, but anyway, uh, um, that's a nice piece. Protecting balance is a piece I did for uh, um, crying your and parish law firm. The uh, Statue of Liberty, uh, the the crown that's on Exile Brewery. I had yeah. a lot of fun doing that. I got to go and uh, do a lot of uh, work with Ellis Island on the original drawings, and uh, that's created down to the, I mean, down to the bolt, actually the rivet uh, of the real size. Uh, um, there's just a lot of pieces that uh, um, 300 MLK there's a clock inside there that's a digital clock a big round clock that I got to work with LG uh, Phillips um, out of Boston that we did this huge clock and in fact that clock and a project that I was trying to do for uh, Walnut Street uh, Spectrum uh, got the attention of Tony Shea which owned uh, Zappos and sold to Amazon in Las Vegas. And they brought me down there to work on renovating. And they were pumping about four or 500 million into the new downtown Las Vegas, um, where the old, old strip was. And I got to work on stuff down there before he passed away, like last year or a year and a half ago. But, uh, you know, things that I thought would be very well received and then not really get much attention of them and boy other cities other larger entities look at them and say where have you been all of our lives and come out and I do it I do it for them out here now um, these last pieces I started working on were these fabric pieces and uh, they're uh, I've been in the LA Contemporary Show I've been to uh, uh, different shows throughout the country with them uh, sold them everywhere from LA to I mean you they're they're doing quite well well thank you so much for taking the time today and sharing your work and experience with me and we really appreciate it oh no problem thank you thank you you've been listening to in the balance an Iowa judicial branch podcast hosted and produced by Marissa Gall If you would like more information about Iowa's courts, you can visit www.iowacourts.gov. You can also follow the Iowa Judicial Branch on Twitter and YouTube at Iowa Courts. This episode of In the Balance is now adjourned.